Well, good morning. My name's Jason. I'm our uh, youth and young adults pastor here, if you don't know me. Um, but today, I'm excited to be starting this new series, The Seven Churches in Revelation. I've been looking forward to this series for a while now as we've been planning it and talking about it. Uh, who here, kind of like me, likes history and church history and the Bible, all that kind of stuff combined together? Awesome. You're going to like this series then because we're going to get to see church history, Bible history and the Bible all come together here, and that really excites me. So I got super excited uh, planning for this and, and studying this. And a question as we, we start this out here, anybody have a performance review at your work ever? A couple people, all right, cool. Yeah, we have some. Maybe here mid-year, if you do a mid-year one, Pastor Harold hasn't done one yet, so don't remind him. For me, if you will, uh, we did one at the end of last year, though, and it went really well as his favorite full-time employee. That went well for me. Um, Kim's his favorite. I'm favorite full-time, you know. Um, but, you know, that went really well, and, and, and those are really geared to help us out, right? Typically, they, they are there to tell us what we're doing right, maybe tell us what we're not doing as well at and telling us how we can do better, right, and be a better employee. Well, you'll see here, if you look at it that way, here Jesus is kind of giving um, a performance review and evaluation, so to speak, for these seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. He's looking at them, and just like we would, he's telling them what they're doing well. He's also telling them what they're not doing quite as well and where they can improve and how they can do that. And as we see this today and throughout the next several weeks of this series, looking at these churches, I want us to look at our church and more importantly, ourselves as individuals. And as we see what these churches are struggling with and what they're doing well, look at our own lives and say, is that something I'm struggling with and I need to fix? Or is that something I need to be doing because they did it well and I'm not doing it yet? Now, I promised some background and some history, and I've even got some maps for you this morning, if that excites you. So some background on these letters that we're going to be studying. Revelation, the book, was written by John the Apostle while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And these letters were written to, to seven literal local churches back in Bible times here. Now, we often think Sometimes when we hear letters and all of that, we think it's going to like a whole country, you know, if a letter was coming to the church, but it was coming to these individual local churches that probably weren't distance-wise all that far apart if they had cars and could drive. So I put up here to kind of give us an idea. Our first map here shows where our three campuses of Grace Community Church are. Northwood, that's us. If you didn't know you're in Northwood today, that's where you're at. Fremont, Tiffin, our other campuses. So these are three campuses, same church. If letters were sent to us, they'd send one to each campus, and maybe they'd differ a little bit here and there, and they'd send it to one at a time and send it on down that way. Well, in the Bible times, our next map, you'll see, they were sent kind of similar. Patmos, that's where John was writing from, that aisle where he was exiled. Ephesus, the first one with the star is what we'll look at today. And they were sent along the mail route. The mail route went Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. So they also all got to read each other's mail. So by the time they got to Laodicea, they got to read seven letters, and they're looking at it, and they're going, oh man, look at where they messed up, and they messed up, and then they got to their own letter, and they didn't feel quite as good about themselves anymore at that moment. But you know, as we read these letters to these ancient churches that were written, I want us to see one of the main things that we're going to see is learn more about who Jesus is. 
In every letter, you're going to see Jesus as the author of the letter. You'll see him as the answer for the church's problems and also the authority for the churches. You know, all throughout the book of Revelation, the idea is for us to see and learn more about who God is. That helps us know how we can serve him and better love him and obey him. But we get to see more about who Jesus is in each one of these letters. We get to see another extent of his nature, how he works, and all of that throughout these letters. Like I said earlier, we start to see as well church history and the Bible and history interact because we start to study what was going on in these cities at the time and, and what the locations were like, and we'll see the problems that they were facing. We'll see what they were going through and how the church reacted to it. You know, there's also some parallels that some people see. While these were literal churches, congregations, meetings, studying God's word back then, we also see some, some people see some parallels here to comparing American church history with a time period that matches what the churches were going through. And there's some fun parallels there, but when you look at world church history, they kind of fall a little bit flat. But what I want us to know is these letters weren't written to us here directly, but as we start to study them and look at our own lives as well, we can recognize problems in our own lives and maybe the things we need to be doing and the application for how these letters can apply to us and correct them before it's too late. Now, some background on the city. The word Ephesus means desirable. This was the place to live back then. It was a big port city, one of the largest port cities in the known world at the time. They had uh, three major roads that went in different directions. This was a hub of commerce, a hub of, of economics. I mean, they were, uh, this was a big place to be. Everybody wanted to be there. And in Acts chapter 18 and 19, we see the start of the church at Ephesus. Paul planted the church, spent about two to three years there, and people started to get saved, and this church grew rapidly, and they started doing great things right off the bat. One of the major trades and sales in this city was uh, the sale of idols, and as people started getting saved and quit buying idols and destroyed their idols and stopped buying uh, all the books about idol worship and things like that, it tanked the economy quickly in the city of Ephesus because now no one was buying idols because everybody was getting saved and stopping that sin. It made the idol salesmen really, really mad. And later on in Acts, they actually start a riot in the city because the Christians tanked the economy because they started worshiping God. That's pretty cool. They had such an impact that it tanked their economy because they quit buying idols. This church, we also see John the Apostle spend some time there, Timothy, Apollos, uh, Aquila, Priscilla. There was a lot of people pouring into them, and they were doing a lot of really good things. Now, they had to face some problems in Ephesus. The city was a very wealthy city. The city was, um, uh, had a large amphitheater that seated over 50,000 people. Um, they were addicted to entertainment. That was a big thing in their city. They were also addicted to sensuality. They had a temple to Diana, who was the sex goddess. The temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. So this, this church here had some things to battle in culture. And in every letter, we're going to see a unique uh, susceptibility to culture um, or the context of the city that the church is in that they have to face and battle back against. Now, as we jump into this, we're going to look at verse 1, Acts chapter, or not Acts, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2. Uh, the Bible says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, 
the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. So we first see the one. And as we jump into looking at this first church, we want to look at who it's being written to, what what all these people, the lampstand, the, the one, the angel, who these are. And we first see the angel who it's written to, the angel of the church at Ephesus. That would be the pastor, the leader of the church, not a literal celestial angel from heaven, but rather the pastor. Angel, the word meaning messenger, he was God's messenger to the church. The letter came to him, he'd read it, and he would take it to the church people and say, all right, here is what Jesus said about us, okay? Then we see the golden lampstands. This refers to the seven churches. We used candles up here on our background, but the seven lampstands refers to the churches. And then we see the one. This is Christ. Uh, We see him as the author of the messages to these churches. John wrote down the words in a vision that he got, but Jesus is the one giving these reviews, telling the churches, all right, here's what I see, here's what's going on. He's kind of checking in on them. And sometimes we think of in the Bible when a, a city got a letter as it being a bad thing, right? We think back to Corinthians and we're like, oh, that's kind of problematic. I hope we don't get one. But they're not always bad. It's not necessarily a bad thing. This was... Uh, uh, a chance for the creator, their savior, the one who is holding the churches in his hands to check in with them and say, hey, this is where you're doing well. Great job. Keep it up. This is where you're struggling. Let's fix it before it's too late. So it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but rather a good thing because none of us are perfect, right? None of our churches are perfect. So if we got a letter, sure, there'd be some bad things, but it's Jesus' way of saying, hey, let's correct them. When we look back at it and say, hey, here's how we can improve as Christians, because that's what it's all about. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. So it's about getting better, drawing closer to God and improving. So as we study these churches, use it as a moment to examine, sure, our church, but ourselves as individuals and how we can improve and draw closer to God. Now, again, I said the Bible here describes Jesus as the one who holds the seven stars, the churches. And that phrase is kind of a warning and a comfort as well, depending on what side you're on there, right? Because if you're doing everything well, you're living life God's way, it's a comfort because he's he's holding them in his hands. He's reminding the pastors and churches that ultimately Christ is providing for them. So if they're trusting in him, he's there providing for them. He's responsible. Jesus is for growing his church And as the one who holds them, Christ will provide for and protect his church. But as Christians and as the leaders there, they need to be submissive and dependent on the Lord for what is needed. The question is, do we submit to God and are we dependent on him for all that's needed in our church, in our ministry, in our lives? We also see Christ walking alongside of them. He's being in the midst of the churches and not just being there with them as someone observing in the background, but as an active participant, walking with them, being there for them. He's not just present in their lives, but he's actively involved in their ministry. He provides for our needs. There's fellowship and comfort as well. And I don't know about you, but that excites me because Jesus didn't just send us out with this mission and say, reach the world and figure it out on your own. He says, I'm here with you to help you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to provide for what you need. I'm going to make sure your needs are met and you have all the power that you need to go do this job. And that's super exciting. It's also a note of warning as well. You know, we ask kids, would you act like that if Jesus was here in the room? 
Well, he's here as well, so he knows what's going on. He knows when we mess up or aren't doing things the way we're supposed to do as well. So it's a bit of a warning for the church as well. You see, Christ is the one who knows all things. We say here often, Lord knows about many things, you know, and sometimes it can be a little bit of a joke. When we don't understand something, we're like, oh, well, Lord knows, but he does, right? He knows what he's doing. He knows what's going on. He knows what we need. He knows where we're struggling, and he knows where we need to get better. And he's there to protect and provide and care for us. Now, we'll continue on here, and we, we got to see some background of what's going on here. But now let's see the good things of this church in Ephesus. Look at verses 2 and 3, and then we're going to skip down to verse 6. We'll come back to 5. Don't worry. But the Bible says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So here in verse 2, we open up with seeing Christ's knowledge. I said we'd we'd get to see a little bit about who Jesus is here. We'd learn more about him. And we see he's all-knowing. He knows all that's going on. He tells them, I know your deeds right off the bat. I know your work. I know what's going on. He shows his interest in his evaluation over everything going on in in his church. And notice I keep saying his church because we believe Christ is holding the church in his hand. It's his church. He's responsible for growing it and for working through us and providing for it. And they're kind of heavy words. Again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but it sounds great to those that are living life the right way, that Christ knows our works. He knows our deeds. He knows what we're doing. So if we're doing the right thing, that's awesome. He knows it. He recognizes that. But if we're living contrary to God's word, contrary to how he wants us to live, it isn't quite a good thing for those people because he knows that as well. Think about the church's reaction to reading the letter. As they get this, the first thing he says, they don't get any farther, but he says, I know your deeds. I know your works. I know what you're doing. If Christ said that right now about our lives individually, what would our reaction be? I know what you're doing. Maybe scared, maybe happy, might be different depending on the person, but that's what he says right off the bat. He's evaluating their works. He knows what they have done. The word deed here it refers to an action or a task, an official task, and the achievements and accomplishments that come with it. It gives an idea that this church is an active church. They are doing a lot. They are doing a lot for the Lord. Now, he also uses the word toils, and that word means to labor or work to the point of exhaustion. He's giving the, the depth of their work as well here. Uh, It refers uh, uh, to the point of working to weakness, uh, and it's not nothing, right? Their endeavors were hard. They were working so hard for Christ to the point of exhaustion, weakness, being tired, exhausted. They also persevered, the Bible said there, and that word that's used there means to remain under pressure. That meant how long they were continuing on with these. That meant when life got hard and pressure started to set in, They stuck it out. They continued going. It explains the extent of their ability to maintain under pressure over the long haul. 
You know, it ex- uh, perseverance uh, stresses the extent of their labor, where toils expresses the degree of their labor. It gives us the depth and the width, and it just really helps us understand how hard this church is working, all the good things they're doing. This church was working hard for God, and Jesus recognized that. He gave them a thumbs up for it, said, hey, you're doing a good thing. Are we working hard for the Lord is all? Are you serving him at all? Are we remaining even when things get hard? Maybe it's time we need to take the next step and step up in in a bigger way. Maybe it's time we need to sacrifice something for the cause of Christ. What would Jesus' performance review say about our church's work and our own individually? Now, he also had another positive for them. He said, you cannot tolerate evil men. That means they can't endure or put up with them at all, and this is a good thing. Obviously, the Bible tells us when a brother or sister in Christ fails us and sins, we want to try to restore them back to fellowship. That's the good thing to do. But sometimes when there's unrepentant sin and it keeps going on, and sometimes we have to cut fellowship with them when they won't come back as followers of God, and that's one of the hard things to do, right? It's easy as someone like in my position. I love to, to go to camp with the middle schoolers. I love to do the fun things, right? That's great. I love to play kickball at Fuse and capture the flag and Nerf Wars and all those fun things. But then there's sometimes when the hard things come up and we got to say, hey, you're not living life the right way. This isn't correct. We can't do that as a Christian. We've got to live life God's way. And that's not always as fun, but it's so necessary. And you see, the Ephesian church had refused to allow immorality into their church. And Christ said that's a good thing. He also said they were testing those who called themselves apostles, leaders. He was test- they were testing what they were teaching. They were testing their lifestyle. They were verifying they were teaching God's word. And you should be verifying what is taught as well, what you see on TikTok, on Facebook, in a podcast, uh, what you listen to on YouTube, what you hear here. You should verify with God's word and make sure it's correct. Because if your whole belief system is built on, well, Jason said that, not a solid foundation. I can make a mistake. Make sure our foundation of our belief system is built on, well, God said it in his word. That's what this church in Ephesus did. They didn't allow immorality. They made sure their doctrine was sound. And in verse 3, it's a summary of their perseverance, how well they stuck it out while they were doing that. And they did a ton of work, worked hard, continued on it for Christ's sake. And that's why we do it, right? For the cause of Christ, to promote his name, to glorify God. And in verse 6, it gives one more commendation of this church. Uh, It mentions that they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which then to that verse says, Jesus hates them too, their deeds, their works. And there's scholars differ on what exactly that is. You can find several different theories in it. Um, Some believe it was a church church leader named Nicholas who had followers who he left the faith and he taught false things and a bunch of people followed him. Some people believe it was a belief system similar to that of Balaam in the Old Testament, and they believed uh, it was a heresy that gave Christians license to just live however they wanted to and how they chose. And some of it believed that that was taking over the church leadership and churches at the time. Regardless of the actual belief, the key is here it was a false teaching. Christ hated it, and this church did as well. They made sure it was not a part of their church. Listen, God wants us to stand strong against false teaching. Do you know the Bible well enough to know what is incorrect if somebody taught it? 
Now, just like all good performance reviews, he gave them what was good. He started out with that. And now he transitions into the not so good. Look at verse four. Jesus here says, but I have this against you that you left your first love. You left your first love. Now this church, if we looked at it, they are crushing it, right? They're serving, they're working hard, their doctrine is great, they're standing up against sin. Like, if we looked at it, we would just be like, this church is amazing, they're perfect, they're crushing it. But Jesus saw an area of their life where they weren't killing it, where they weren't doing great. And, you know, it's kind of a sin that it may be hard for us to detect at times as well in our own lives or in the lives of others, because on the outside, things were going great. Their works were great. The things people saw were great. They were all there doing everything they could. But on the inside, the Bible says they lost their love for Christ. They lost their first love. You know, this would be like a spouse looking at their other spouse saying, hey, I I don't feel like you love me as much as you used to, or we fell out of love or something like that. They're saying that when they first accepted Christ and started serving him, there was more of a love, a vigor, a vitality in their faith than they have today. They lost their spiritual excitement and vitality, their reason for serving, their love for Christ. Remember, Ephesus, like our culture, is entertainment-driven. There's a lot of things going on in the culture. There were a lot of things going on in the church. They were doing a lot of things, probably busy outside of church. They were doing so many things, the Bible studies, the doctrine, defending doctrine, serving God, that they forgot about God. They were doing all of the right things, but forgetting about him at the center of it. You see, this church at one point loved God so much, it motivated them to go out and serve. Their love for him was what made them go do all these things, reach people for Christ, stand up for what was right. But they got so enamored with the work and the results of that work that eventually they forgot about the love that was fueling their work or should have been fueling their work. Do we get so busy working in ministry that we forget to worship? And I'm not just saying that we forget to come in and sing songs because worship is more than just songs. That's one big part of our worship. But you see, the Bible tells us our work, our serving, what we do for God, how we live our life is worship as well. Sometimes our work for the Lord can just become a a merit badge for us. Let people say, look at the good things I'm doing and we forget to take time and love God and worship him. Listen, we saw the good things they were doing, and we saw that they persevered through hard times. Uh, We saw the problems and trials and things they'd have to push through as well in their culture, but they lacked love for Christ. Don't lose your love for Christ and your zeal to serve him. It's important to both serve God and love him, not one or the other. So what's the solution? What does Christ give? He doesn't leave them out there with no solution. Look at verse 5 and 7. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He tells them several things here in verse 5 of how to fix this problem, the solution for their lack of love. 
Jesus tells them to remember, that is to reflect. Look back on your life and reflect on it. Remember the way your relationship with Christ used to be. Think back on it. Was there a time when your relationship was more exciting? You were on fire for God. You wanted to do more things. You were closer to him. We can look back on this as a way to look back on ourselves because this can be a hard sin to find. We just get so busy and so caught up in things that we forget about loving God. We have to take a moment and review ourselves, reflect and say, hey, where am I at in my relationship with God? Have you lost your joy in serving? Perhaps we've lost our love and our devotion to Christ in the midst of all of our work. And if you reflect on that and you say, yeah, maybe I'm not where I was once with Christ, repent of it. That's the next thing he tells us, repent. That means to change your mind or purpose. That means if you're over here, you say, I've got to stop being here, turn away from it, and I'm going on a new purpose. I'm going to get back to loving God the way I need to. It means to recognize our previous position as wrong and to change and move forward on a new path. New path. Do we recognize that we've lost our love for Christ? If so, repent. Change and fix our relationship with God. This is a single decisive act that you have to take. I can't make you do it. I can't do it for everybody. We can only individually do it ourselves. You see, and it's an individual response that affects the church as a whole. Think about the church in Ephesus. I highly doubt that one day they called a meeting, got the whole church together, and said, all right, guys, uh, who wants to keep serving God? They all raised their hand. We'll do that as a church. Then they said, all right, uh, who wants to make sure we, 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 you know, are harsh against sin and we're good sound doctrine? They're all like, yeah, yeah, we want to do that. All right, who wants to stop loving Jesus? Oh, yeah, we're going to do that too. We're all going to do that. I don't think they had a church vote and did that more than likely, right? They wouldn't do that. Probably what happened was it was a slow fade. People were working and serving God, and maybe slowly they stopped spending time with God and his word, stopped praying, they stopped uh, maybe coming to church as much, stopped fellowshipping with their church family, and they slowly lost that love, that vitality, that exuberance for Christ that they once had. Maybe now they're still serving, but it's begrudgingly, it's out of necessity, it's because it's what they always do, checking something off the list, but they... Their, their love for Christ, their excitement and their relationship with God isn't what it once was. And listen, if God is not at the forefront, we need to repent and come back to him. Again, it wasn't the whole church, but a majority of the church that affected Ephesus as a whole. Don't let that be us. And finally, he tells them to repeat then. Once you've repented, repeat what you did at first. And this gives us kind of two thoughts here. He says, repeat what you did at first. You know, sometimes in a relationship, you've got to go back to those things you did at first. You've got to buy some flowers because you get out of that habit after a while. Write some nice cards, buy some nice things, be a little kinder, and you've got to rekindle that relationship. And Jesus is saying it's the same here. Maybe there was a time when we read our Bible more, we prayed more, uh, uh, we were fellowshipping with our church family more, and we've got to go back to that and rekindle our love for Christ. It also gives the idea of what you're making your first priority. It, it means those things that are most important to us. Go back to the first thing. In Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40, uh, we talked about this with our few students Wednesday, and there's a great parallel here to our love for God. In that passage, um, one of the Sadducees, or one of the, the Pharisees' lawyers asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? They're trying to trip him up. And Jesus says, the most important thing for you to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus basically says as a Christian, the most important thing you can do is love God and love others. That sounds easy, right? Love God and love people. That's easy. We can do it. But then you start to look at what it means to love God with your heart, soul, and mind. That means to love God with every fiber of your being, your heart, your soul, your mind. You're giving it all to him, making him a priority in every area of your life. And now, that sounds a little bit more challenging, doesn't it? Just a little bit. Sometimes we we lose our first love for God because something else has become more important. Maybe just one aspect, something we like in our heart, uh, something in our mind, our knowledge, we want to use it the way we want to do it. And it can be a whole bunch of things, right? And not necessarily bad things either, but things that get in the way of our love for Christ. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it becomes more important. Maybe it's a relationship, sports, an activity, a hobby, vacations, If it's keeping you from the things God wants you to do, then we're not loving God with our whole, every fiber of our being. You see, God wants us to love him with all of us, with all parts of us, our heart, our soul, our mind. Therefore, if he isn't our first love, if if loving him isn't the most important thing, then we've got to reprioritize or get rid of something to make sure that he is. Sometimes in order to do this, it means we have to sacrifice something that we like. We've got to give up something, and that's challenging. But what is first in your life? What's your main priority? What are the first things that we need to go back to, the things that we should be doing, the simple things that God commands for all of us to do? Well, it's reading our Bible, spending time with God in prayer, being with our church family, serving them, serving others, and sharing the gospel. You see, if there's something else that's keeping us from doing those things, we either need to reprioritize or get rid of it because it's holding us back from loving God. Again, why does Christ need to be our first love? Well, here's what he tells them at the end of that verse. In verse, um, those verses we just read, he says, if they don't return to their first love, their lampstand was going to be Removed. What's, what's that mean? What's their lampstand going to be removed? We got a kind of lamp up there with some candles in it. Lamps, candles signify light, right? Each one of those seven candles signifies a church. The light is their witness, who they're reaching, where the light reaches. And you see, without love for Christ, there is no light. What Jesus is saying is their witness was going to be removed as a church. Without love for Christ, there is no light. And the church of Ephesus does not stand today. Their light wasn't just dimmed. Their, their witness didn't just go down slightly because they weren't as effective. It went out. Now, that doesn't mean they all lost their salvation or, or that every single person stopped following God. But as a whole, the church lost their impact in an area. And in verse 7, the Bible says, Him who overcomes. Jesus is talking about those who overcome, those who persevere, those who say, All right, I messed up, but I'm going to return to my first love. And when he says this, he says there's a reward for them for their faith in heaven. This isn't, this isn't talking about a workspace salvation or losing your salvation, but it's talking about uh, for those who have accepted Christ and they return to their first love and they're faithful, there's a reward for them in heaven. Obviously, the church in Ephesus wasn't as faithful as they should have been. They lost their light. They lost their witness. And it happens today as well, right? There's churches that used to exist 
in this area, churches that I know of where I grew up that used to exist and had a great impact and don't exist anymore because people lost their zeal for Christ. They lost their love for Christ and other things became more important and they slowly die and lose their light in a community. Don't let that be us as individuals. This is something we have to actively combat because it starts with individuals and slowly spreads to the entire church. Now, as the band heads up here, we'll we'll close this today. We're going to close with a song. But we looked at Christ's first performance evaluation of a church, a church that worked hard, so hard, did a ton of amazing things. They were doctrinally sound, but they lost their love for Christ. Other things became more important to them than their love for God. We don't know what all those other things were, but don't let that happen to us. Don't let something become more important than your love for God. And if you get nothing else from this today, I've got a few takeaways for you to remember it in. The first one, serving God and your church family is important. It's important. That's what he tells them right there. It's important to serve. It's important to serve God. They were doing a good thing, and Christ gave high regard to them for that. I don't want to skip over that part of what the church at Ephesus was doing. It was a good thing. No matter what, they worked hard. He also said it's important to know what you believe. Know what you believe. That's our our second one. Sound doctrine and verifying what the leaders were teaching was important to the church. Jesus gave them props for that. He said that's a good thing. Make sure you know what you believe. It's also important that we do a performance review on ourselves. We evaluate our own walk with Christ. It's kind of a weird way to say it, but many of us at first are motivated by our excitement, our love for God and what he's done for us. Are you still that way? Uh, Are you spending time with God? Ask him to point out sin and false motives in your life. Make sure that your first priority is your love for God. And finally, love God. It's a simple one, but return to your first love. Rekindle your love for God or continue in it if you already do love him. Maybe that means you have to give up something or sacrifice something, but it's so important for us to make sure Christ is our main priority. Here's the question I want to close with today for you to think about and think about this throughout the whole series. What would God's performance review of our church look like? What would it look like if he sent a letter just to you specifically on your own life? Think about that as we go through this series and this week as well. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll stand and sing with the band. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, I just thank you for bringing us here this morning and letting us hear from your word. Lord, just help each and every one of us to make sure you're the priority in our lives, God. In your name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing and then we'll be dismissed.